0: welcome to the nds safer and stronger podcast in this episode we are joined by julie ware the general manager of improvement innovation and customer experience at scope australia speaking with graham west the disability sector consultant from the safer and stronger team as they discuss a set of outcomes in scopes practice governance framework which is referred to as the four pillars thank you for joining me julie in this conversation I'm really intrigued to learn more about SCOPE's four pillars in its practice governance. If you could tell us what that is and how it sits with strategy, that'd be great. Sure, thanks,
1: Graham. Uh, SCOPE's done a lot of work probably over the last four to five years in thinking about how we approach practice in particular uh, within our disability services. And more than often, when quality looks at practice, uh, it tends to look at the discipline based practice. And what we've really attempted to do, I guess, is think about that uh, probably more aimed at the majority of our services, which are disability support within accommodation services. Uh, so we've developed a practice framework that has as its core four pillars. Uh, these pillars aren't necessarily new or wouldn't necessarily be new to people who have experience in quality or who are experienced within services to people with disabilities. However, uh, we have, I guess, selected these four pillars because we believe it supports, scopes, mission and and values. Uh, So the first pillar um, and the most important um, from our perspective is customer-led support. And really what that means is we aim to, wherever possible, uh, support the principles of choice and control and uh, supported decision-making where, where necessary. Uh, and that really lines us up with both the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Framework, but also uh, the Convention on Human Rights for People with Disability, which underlays all of um, all of our framework really uh, customer led support uh, can be uh, I'll give you some examples of that I guess um, we have representative groups within scope who are customers those groups are led by customers and they meet regularly to provide feedback to the business on services they receive that's beyond our normal feedback or complaints processes. This is really intended to be more of an empowering mechanism for the people who participate. Uh, And it's really important for us that that is led by people with disability as well. So that's one example. Uh, We do a range of customer insights, customer data analytics as well, really to make sure that we have in place what we uh, refer to as continuous listening. Again. We're really wanting to centre this framework in the everyday Uh, and so therefore we work both with our operational areas but also uh, from a centralised perspective uh, to look at satisfaction, to look at indicators of good experience and finding ways to get that directly from our customers.
0: Okay, yeah, so that sounds interesting. So the voice of the customer and getting feedback as well as then I'm sure you're putting in things about what would you like to see done differently in future that would then lead through to a strategy development and and, and new initiatives That's right. perhaps? Or, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, what we're trying to do, I guess, is alongside those planned more event-type processes that you might have in place to consult with customers or uh, seek customer in- input, we're really trying to, enable our customers to provide continuous feedback Um, what that means is that we've got to make sure that we've got the mechanisms in place to receive that feedback and act upon it Um, the other obvious components of customer-led support are really about individualized planning uh, individualized goal goal setting and making sure that we're doing that together and reviewing that together with our customers which is probably the more obvious example of of customer led support. Yep.
0: Okay. The second pillar.
1: The second pillar looks at what we call practice effectiveness, uh, and really what that means is uh, a range of systems or mechanisms to ensure that our services are evidence based, uh, to ensure that they're contemporary. So having good access to research is really important, making sure that we're meeting our legislative and regulatory requirements, having system to, to support that, but also looking at uh, developing our own practice frameworks um, that are, I guess, bespoke to scope in the way that we approach it. So we have a, a developed a range of practice frameworks along service type, really, uh, and we've worked uh, really hard with our disability support workers in particular and our coordinators to understand what uh, what are the core principles within those frameworks, what does it look like at an everyday level, uh, what are the values and beliefs that sit behind that practice and what are the skills and then training that you might need uh, to be able to um, fulfil that, that practice outcome on an everyday basis
0: really. So staff would have an opportunity to improve um, maybe practices through that um, focus, is that?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Continuous improvement.
1: That's right. So uh, underlying uh, the practice framework are some core quality systems, including a continuous improvement framework and system as well. And that then pertains to all of the pillars in terms of what we might have in place and then how we might improve that. So that includes practice effectiveness. The other core component of that pillar is practice leadership and making sure that for our staff, we are supporting them in their role as practice leaders, particularly at that house coordinator level. Uh, So we have introduced a range of programs aimed at uh, enabling people in those roles to shift their focus from what is might be a set of tasks or is in very compliance-driven to a more people-oriented, practice-oriented role. Oh. So trying to alleviate some of that compliance burden um, so that they can focus on uh, the really important um, you know, supports that sit beside uh, or sit behind rather um, our services to people we support. That's really important for us and it's important for our staff as well, and that's certainly the feedback that we get from them.
0: Okay, so moving on to the third pillar.
1: The third pillar is effective workforce, and uh, a lot of uh, people would say that your workforce are your most important asset. Um, I think we would agree. Um, uh, Our brand is our workforce and therefore uh, we certainly have thought a lot about what are the needs of our staff to enable them to work within this practice governance framework. So when we set expectations or we develop outcomes, we need to then understand how do we support our staff to be able to do that. That's often the hardest part of the picture because you have to translate what is effectively strategy through to everyday practice. So a lot of that is about training uh, but not just training. Uh, Some of it is broader capability development for different key roles. Um, But it also includes those things that, are linked to regulations such as worker screening and code of conduct and things like that to ensure that, you know, safe
0: environment for our customers. With regard to recruitment then, getting the people that then are aligned to working in this way, how would you describe your recruitment approach?
1: I think Scope's approach is similar to a lot of uh, organisations now. In fact, we've, we've had this in place for some time, but it's very much based on attributes and um, sort of more behavioural um, recruitment right. approaches, um, yeah. you know, linked to what those expectations might be in terms of values and beliefs um, yeah. and being able to demonstrate um, the ability to align yourself with that or, you know, presumably having that already um, before you join the organisation. So there's quite... A lot to think about in terms of that end-to-end process from pre-recruitment through to supporting somebody in their role, uh, and so we've we've actually had to go back and have a look at um, that all of those processes within to make sure that it um, the principles again uh, that are driving those processes are the practice governance principles.
0: Okay. Yeah, and I imagine the HR systems that you use would have to be pretty sound to be able to cope with uh, the volume of information and also help leaders to understand points of time that they should be monitoring performance um, and, yeah, bringing things to to uh, staff's attention around L&D opportunities. So you've got online training and things like that through a HR system?
1: We do, yeah. We're doing a bit fair bit of work at the moment actually on... Uh, enhancing I guess the the platforms that we have in that space Uh, one of the things that we're again trying to think through is at an organizational level what is the capability that is required so of course we will always look at an individual competency need but if you extrapolate that up then you know there's also uh, a sense of what does the organisation need as a capability level to effectively execute your strategy? Um, and normally you, when you think about that, you might think about corporate roles or head office roles. But in fact, again, everybody is part of that, including those that are doing direct service delivery.
0: Yes, I understand. So just moving on to the last pillar,
1: So the last pillar is risk management. And this pillar,
0: whilst absolutely
1: essential, uh, tends to be, certainly my experience, uh, the data or information that is more than often focused on, particularly at board level um, or executive level. Um, And sometimes without any of the other information Um, or data that we've been talking about across those other pillars. So it includes things like incident management, complaints management, um, uh, the strategic risk framework that we have in place for the organisation. So a lot of the compliance information systems, mechanisms sit within this pillar. So again, they're really important to have, clearly. Uh, But what we've tried to do with the practice governance framework I guess, is to broaden the focus so that uh, we don't think about practice governance just from a risk lens. We think about it first and foremost from a customer perspective, hence why customer-led support is uh, our first pillar. Uh, And really those risk systems are there then as support systems. Um, They they do tend to also focus on the corrective often, um, as we know, Certainly our regulators uh, intervene at that point, at that corrective level. If something goes wrong, what do you do? Uh, yeah. But our risk systems are also really aimed at both the developmental and the preventative in that at the developmental level, we want to make sure that people, our staff and our customers, uh, the capability is built um. Uh, for those um, key people, staff or customers, um, to be able to avoid risk, if possible, um, avoid harm. Um, And so there's a range of things that we can do in that space, equally in the preventative space. Similarly, making sure that we've got enough initiatives and processes in place to hopefully prevent something from going wrong. Yeah. um they're the areas that we're really uh focusing on more so now um so that hopefully the the corrective actions um continue to reduce
0: yep and we can learn from the corrective actions as about trends and things like that but I mean the data that we get but ultimately if we can um, take learn from others or learn um Across lines of business, and then take preventative actions, you're going to be in a better place. Uh, in I think services.
1: so. Yeah, yeah. I think, especially with processes like the Royal Commission, um, yeah. who very much are, are interested in prevention, yes. at, rightly so. Uh, I, you know, I think that as organisations, we need to be looking at that, and certainly the NDIS, as part of their quality safeguards framework, um, include. Those types of actions um, as things that we need to be
0: thinking about. Yeah. Do you undertake risk maturity assessments?
1: We do, yeah, we do that. Uh, we've done that a couple of times over the last probably three years uh, and that's a really good exercise to go through with executive and board in particular, uh, but also senior leadership. Uh, yes. We line that up to our strategic risk framework which uh, we have in place which is then linked to our strategic plan and our yeah. you know strategic priorities obviously so they're all interconnected really
0: yeah um so the value in the maturity assessments without giving specifics because like mm. it's it's not the question or not a path i want to go down uh for confidentiality but like what have you learned from undertaking an assessment is there things that have then change strategy, change the way in which you perhaps monitor or review performance? What, what, what might be an outcome of doing a maturity assessment?
1: I think some of the interesting things that we've found, going in that process, are uh, again, uh, moving our focus away from the obvious, the things that we typically or traditionally have focused on, reporting right. in particular... Uh, And only looking at reporting as reporting rather than what's the risk culture that we need to develop in order for us to have the right reporting approach. And and so that's uh, one example, I guess, of Hmm. when you look at a good or you use a good risk maturity assessment tool. And there are many around uh you can enable yourselves really to as i said move away from the obvious look at a complete uh set of actions systems processes that all together support uh really good risk management and it's those less obvious things um sometimes less tangible um hence less obvious uh that uh are really important and fundamental and often can be missed. So we've found that that's been really beneficial because sometimes it enables you to bring yourself back to first principles.
0: Well, thank you very much for your time today, Julie. It's been very rewarding for me and hopefully to our listeners. So thank you. Thanks so much, Graham. Thank you for listening. Search NDS Safer and Stronger on YouTube for more experiences from disability providers as well as other useful resources. Or you can visit the Coronavirus Hub Victorian Response section at nds.org.au. The Safer and Stronger project focuses on supporting disability services in response to COVID-19.